Grizzlies Media Day is right around the corner. We're about three days away. We're going to talk about all these hot topics with the players. We're going to do that on a later episode. Right now, we got to talk about Taylor Jenkins. We already had some stuff we said earlier in the offseason, but I'm about to hit you in a different direction. We're about to say some things that you probably haven't said yet, and there's some things that you're probably only going to hear on Locked On Grizzlies. So guess what? Let's lock in. You are Locked On Grizzlies, your daily Memphis Grizzlies podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Going on, everyone, and welcome back to Locked On Grizzlies. I am your host today, Michael Cole, beat writer for the Commercial Appeal right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Appreciating you for joining us again on this lovely Friday afternoon for Locked On Grizzlies. We got a lot to talk about on today's episode. Before we get to that, I just want to thank you guys for tuning in to Locked On Grizzlies with us each and every day. I appreciate our everydayers. If you're new here, we hope you're enjoying the show. Make sure you continue to like, comment, rate, review, subscribe, all those good things so we can see what you're saying. How can we improve the show? Please let us know and we can implement that into the show going forward on Locked On Grizzlies. I'm going solo today without my co-host, without my partner, Joe Mullinax, getting a well-deserved day off before we hit you next week. With all the heavy hitters, next week's Locked On Grizzlies episodes will be loaded. We're going to have media day on Monday. We're going to have Grizzlies practices throughout the week as well. There's going to be a lot of takeaways from media day that, I mean, we might not be able to cover in a 30-minute show on Monday and Tuesday. So we're going to hit you from all those different angles and avenues on Locked On Grizzlies next week. And then we're going to have some preseason action later on in the week as well. So we got a lot to talk about uh, as we get into uh, next week's edition of Locked On Grizzlies. But as for today, as for today, we've got to focus on Taylor Jenkins, the head man for the Memphis Grizzlies uh, leading the charge here. Look, here's the thing. If you've been following Locked On Grizzlies throughout the summer, We've talked about, you know, the Taylor Jenkins situation, and it's nothing concerning. Let me make sure I say that because some of you probably haven't. If you haven't seen those episodes where we talked about, you know, job security and things like that for Taylor Jenkins, basically me and Joe Mullinex are kind of uh, in the same, you know, stratosphere from a thinking perspective on where the Grizzlies and Taylor Jenkins stand. This is a very important year, but this isn't an end-all, be-all year. This is a year, you know, if things do not go according to plan this year, next year may be that year where it's either put up or shut up, you know, where we could be talking about that seat getting a little bit hot. But you also, this year, if you prove some things and the Grizzlies make some progressive steps forward, and we're not having this conversation at all next season. So this is a very big year for Taylor Jenkins and we gotta, we're going to talk about three different things, you know, and what the Taylor Jenkins, I call them the preseason keys uh, for Taylor Jenkins, some things that we need to see. And at the top of the episode, I said I want to hit you from a different angle. And the reason I say that is because I think there are three things that you probably heard most of this offseason, whether it was from me, whether it was from Joe, whether it's from a lot of people who like to talk about, you know, who critique what Taylor Jenkins has done in his Grizzlies tenure. Uh, number one is the half-court offense. You've heard that whole uh, saying, and that's probably going to be one of the biggest questions that will be addressed at Media Day, and we we'll probably talk about that a little bit in a future episode. But you've heard us talk a 100 times over about the half-court offense. And then the other thing is the rotations, right? 
Some people like it. The Grizzlies uh, didn't have a player finishing the top 50 in minutes per game last season. So the good in that is the fact that the Grizzlies guys get a lot of risk. The bad is you're playing a lot of guys who, you know, are back into the rotation, eight, eight man, nine man, 10 man, a lot of minutes as compared to some other teams who are riding their starters a little bit longer. And, you know, the Grizzlies didn't have the greatest bench in the NBA last season, but they stuck to that thinking. So some people say, oh, he should shorten the rotation just a little bit, and it would lead to better results. So there's the rotations thing. There's the half-court offense. And then there's what we think I think was learned later on in this season. Uh, we started to have a conversation. It was mainly around John Moran. It's not really a Grizzlies-related thing, but I think uh, some people – uh, myself being one of the people, we just started to have a conversation about was Taylor Jenkins uh, truly, you know, holding John Morant accountable enough throughout the course of all those precursors that led to the events that in, in March led to his first suspension in May that led to his second suspension and whatnot. So uh, we've already talked about the half-court offense. We've already talked about rotations. We've already talked about Taylor Jenkins holding guys accountable. That's what we talked about all season. We got to hit it from a different angle today on Locked on Grizzlies. And the first thing I want to talk to you guys about is the Luke Kennard effect. Because Luke Kennard has to play. If the Grizzlies are going to be great this season, if the Grizzlies are going to be one of the best teams, if they're going to repeat as a two seed, if they're going to uh, have championship aspirations, Luke Kennard's got to be on the floor a lot. I looked at the sixth man of the year. You know, uh, projections. You can go check them out on FanDuel as well. But Luke Kennard is way down, way down the totem pole when it comes to six man of the year projections. I think he is not getting enough credit for where he should be. And quite frankly, if he finishes where he's projected on the six man of the year uh, poll, I think he's he's not even in the top ten. I don't think. Uh, I think that's a that's more of a Grizzlies problem than anything. This is a guy who averaged 11 points last season, played around 24 minutes in his tenure with the Grizzlies. And not only did he do that, uh, Luke Kennard uh, did that while pretty much getting adjusted. Like, we didn't see Luke Kennard and Desmond Bain really on the floor together until right before the playoffs. Like, the Grizzlies just didn't do that. At first, they were staggering them pretty much. You know, Des comes out of the game. Okay, we need a shooter in the game, so let's bring Luke Kennard in the game. But later on in the season, it clicked. Like, hold up. You put Des and Luke on the floor together. The spacing, the 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 uh, the ability to approve the half-court offense. I mean, what about when John Morant gets back? You know, him driving to the basket. Who's going to help? Are you going to help off of Des? Are you going to help off of Luke? Like, it clicked for the Grizzlies. And we saw it. I always point back to this. If you, if you want the primary example of the best – indication of how this could how this could work go look at game five and go look at the first half Luke Kennard and Desmond Bain shared the floor a lot and the Grizzlies were rolling they were beating the socks off the Lakers in, in game five and, and it almost felt like oh they found something they'll be able to get this series back to a game seven and then boom shoulder injury for Luke Kennard doesn't play in game six and lo and behold the offense struggles but here's the main reason the main reason more than always, I talk about the spacing and things like that. The numbers back it up more than anything. Uh, I'm going to go to a tweet I saw um, from one of the Grizzlies fan accounts. Shout out to my guy, my Cole twin, uh, Creamy Cole, uh, from his Twitter account. He posted Luke Kennard, talking about Luke Kennard's playoff impact. 
the top three-man lineups for the Grizzlies, all four of the top five, let me get this right, four of the top five Grizzlies uh, playoff three-man lineups included Luke Kennard. Number one was Luke Kennard, Xavier Tillman, and Desmond Bain. Number two was Luke Kennard, John Morant, and Xavier Tillman. Number three was Luke Kennard, Desmond Bain, and Santi Aldama. And number five was Luke Ja and Santi Aldama. The point is, Luke Kennard is on the floor. The Grizzlies were beating the Sox off the Los Angeles Lakers. And that's not something that's just particularly, uh, you know, points per game driven. Like, if you go back and watch that series, and I said it at the time of that series, the Lakers had the perfect guys to guard Luke Kennard from the perspective of he wasn't going to go off and hit six threes against the Lakers like he was doing a lot in the regular season against those teams. The Lakers had Dennis Schroeder, who's one of the better chasers, you know, in the league. They had those bigger defenders as well. They had guys like Austin Reeves. They could throw Vando out there. Like, the Lakers had a bunch of really good defensive bodies, and they stayed attached to Luke Kennard. Like, Luke Kennard did not get a lot of space against the Lakers. So if you look at the raw game film footage of just trying to – trying to see Luke Kennard score like he did in the regular season, you probably said, man, Luke Kennard struggled. But take it a step further. Go to the bigger picture. They're staying so attached to Luke Kennard. It's basically four-on-four out there. If it's four-on-four, that means more spacing for the Grizzlies players, more opportunity to score, to do damage. And that's what we saw. That is exactly what we saw when Luke Kennard was on the floor, the spacing was out of this world. And quite frankly, he played, what, 24 minutes per game uh, in, after uh, being a member of the Grizzlies. I think that number has to go up. I'm going to say 26, 27, 27 minutes off the bench. That's a big number off the bench. Put that in perspective. That's right around what the minutes that Jaron Jackson Jr. played for the Grizzlies this past season. But you know what? I think it's a it's a very doable number, especially considering that John Morant's going to be out at the beginning of the season. So maybe he hovers around 30 minutes while Jaw's out. And then he goes down to around 25, 26 and bounces out to around 27 minutes per game. But I think if he plays around that number, he should be in the six-man-of-the-year conversation. And if Luke Kennard's in the six-man-of-the-year conversation, that means his impact has been great. That means the Grizzlies are playing great basketball. That means the Grizzlies are winning. Luke Kennard has to play. We don't We don't need to see him. On the bench, 21 minutes one night, 18 minutes the next night because uh, of defensive purposes and things like that. No, Luke Kennard has got to be on the floor, point blank, period. You know who else has to be on the floor? That's Marcus Smart, and he will be on the floor. So we're going to talk about him in our next segment. But before we talk about that, and I talked about you about today's sponsors, uh, and that's DoorDash because, look, DoorDash comes through in the clutch for me all the time. Oh, I was hungry this morning. I said, "What? what? I don't know what to eat. I didn't feel like going in the refrigerator. I said, you know what? I didn't feel like driving either. That's where DoorDash comes in because, look, DoorDash, I was able to go order my chicken that I love so much. And, look, DoorDash is the trusted – look, I trust DoorDash to deliver to my favorite restaurants and bring me my food back hot just the way I want it. Look. For you new, for if you new to DoorDash out there, get fifty percent off your first DoorDash order, up to a twenty dollar value when you use the code Locked On NBA at checkout. Limited time offer and terms apply. Look, fifty percent off, up to twenty dollars. That's no minimum subtotal and zero delivery fees on your first order. All you gotta do is download the DoorDash app in the App Store 
enter the code locked on NBA to take advantage of this opportunity. Coming up on Locked On Grizzlies, we're going to talk about Marcus Smart and his role with the Grizzlies. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back to Locked On Grizzlies, everyone. I am DeMichael Cole, beat writer for the Commercial Appeal right here in Memphis, Tennessee. And today's episode is Taylor Jenkins themed. What can Taylor Jenkins do in this preseason? I call the preseason keys for Taylor Jenkins. These are the things that need to be emphasized going into this season. And it's other than the main things that we've already emphasized. I want to make sure that I say that again, if you're just now tuning into the episode, uh, the half court offense, uh, we already know about that. Um, that's going to be a, that. trust me, trust me, on Monday, you're going to hear about the half court offense 50 million, billion, gazillion times, trillion. You're going to hear about the half court offense. I don't have to talk to you about that right now. Rotations. We're going to hear about that all season long. This guy should be playing more than this guy. This guy needs more minutes. And we're going to be talking about that all season long. So I'm not trying to talk about those things right now. We're talking about some other underlying points that need to be discussed. First segment, we talked about Luke Kennard. He needs to be on the floor. He needs to be playing more. He played 24 minutes. That's a decent number for a guy off the bench. I think it should go up to 26, 27. Like, he should be in the six-man-of-the-year conversation. But another guy who should be getting a lot of minutes on the Grizzlies this season is Marcus Smart. But here's the thing. Marcus Smart is in a position where he's kind of two guys in one, right? Uh, That's kind of the way it's been, uh, I won't say promoted, but that's the way it's been discussed, right? The Grizzlies lose Tyus Jones. They lose Dylan Bruce. You get a perimeter defender in Marcus Smart. You get a playmaker along to go with, you know, Ja, who's your primary playmaker in Marcus Smart. So you get a guy to replace Tyus Jones and Dylan Brooks in one player. Uh, That's what he's supposed to bring to the table, right? Well, here's the thing about that. Here's the thing about what Marcus Smart could potentially bring to the table. I think when you think about Marcus Smart, when the season begins, his role is going to be completely different from when John Morant gets back. Let me say that again. Marcus Smart's season, when John Morant gets back, compared to before John Morant's get here, his role could be completely different. Let me put it like this. Let me put it like this. I was thinking about this yesterday, and John Morant, primary ball handler, when he when he's playing on the floor, the ball is going to be in John Morant's hand. There's no doubt about it. But before John Morant gets here, you're going to see the ball in Desmond Bain's hands. You're going to see the ball in Marcus Smart's hands, Derrick Rose. And, you know, whoever else the Grizzlies want to put in those type of positions. But the point is, Marcus Smart, if I had to throw out a rough percentage number, I I think there's a decent chance that Marcus Smart is handling the ball 75% of the time when uh, at the beginning of the season while John Morant suspended. When John Morant gets back, I think you can say he's probably handling the ball 30% of the time. So in other words... In simpler terms, I think Marcus Smart's role could potentially go from a primary ball handler, 25 games, you know, leading the team in assists, uh, you know, setting up all these guys and things like that to becoming more of a spot-up shooter on offense, secondary playmaker. When Ja goes out the game, spell him for five-minute stretches and things like that. Those are completely different roles. But guess what? I think there's a way that Taylor Jenkins could make this work. And the way that Taylor Jenkins could make this work is he has 
to get put Marcus Smart in similar situations uh, before Ja gets back as situations he'll be in when Ja returns. Let me explain. I think the Grizzlies should explore, you know, when, when Desmond Bain and Marcus Smart are in the game together, guess what? Still run Desmond Bain at the point some. Play Marcus Smart off the ball. Uh, allow him to, to to operate in that secondary facilitator role that he's going to see a lot of when he's in the game playing alongside of Ja. Uh, so you could do that as well. Let's see some point bang. How about some lineups with Derrick Rose and Marcus Smart? Uh, Derrick Rose right now is in position to be the backup point guard while uh, John Moran is suspended. So in stretches, don't just use Derrick Rose to spell Marcus Smart. How about putting them on the floor together? Because, look, Marcus Smart ain't got a problem guarding shooting guards, uh, guarding small forwards. We've seen him do it, you know, at this juncture of his career in the NBA. Uh, but on the offensive end, he's also played both. He's played on the ball. He's played off the ball uh, with the Boston Celtics. And I think sometimes, you know, his role changed so much there that it showed up late in the playoffs. The Celtics were so good, didn't really matter uh, early in this, early on in, in playoff series. But we've seen, remember, we have seen Marcus Smart say things about Jason Tatum, you know, holding on to the ball too long. We've seen Marcus Smart talk about, you know, Jalen Brown holding on to the ball uh, too long, things like that. They need to pass the ball to their teammates more, things like that. Um, all that is to say, I think Taylor Jenkins – is in a prime position to set this situation up to it could be a seamless transition from Ja pre-suspension to when Ja returns. This is going to be big because we talked about it. The Grizzlies play 25 games before Ja gets back, 19 of those games, at least 19, because you got a you know an extra game in there potentially uh from the play-in tournament. At least 19 of those games could be will be against Western Conference teams. So possibly 20 of 25 games without Ja Morant will be against Western Conference opponents. What does that matter? I mean, that matters when you factor in tiebreakers. That matters when you factor in head-to-head. All of that's going to come into play, especially with the Dallas Mavericks. I think they played Dallas Mavericks three times uh, before John Morant gets back. So, look, the point here is simple. I think Taylor Jenkins – this is this is my proposal, but, but we can see, you know, Taylor Jenkins can do it however Taylor Jenkins, you know, wants to do it. But the end goal should be very simple. Marcus Smart should play on and off the ball in a lot of stretches before John Morant returns so he can be comfortable playing both roles when John Morant gets back. And not just comfortable playing both roles. Let me rephrase that a little bit because Marcus Smart has played both of those roles throughout the entirety of his career. Playing both of those roles with the Grizzlies is what I'm saying. Because here's worst-case scenario in my mind. This is what I think would be the worst case scenario. Marcus Smart starts the season as the Grizzlies' primary point guard. Derrick Rose spells him in stretches. He averages eight, nine assists. He's learning how to feed uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Desmond Bain, he's learning where Luke Kennard likes the ball and all these things. And, you know, e- even if the Grizzlies are playing well, then boom, John Morant gets back. We all know John Morant is going to be a high-level high pick and roll. Uh, Desmond Bain's comfortable playing off the ball with him. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. is comfortable playing off the ball with him. Uh, but Marcus Smart struggled. There's an adjustment period. And depending on how those first 25 games go, uh, the Grizzlies might not you know, have time for a 20-25 game adjustment period because they might be playing catch-up. Again, you're playing 20 games to start the season. 
against Western Conference opponents. I've said in the past, if the Grizzlies are hovering around 500, I think that'll be good. If they're below 500, they're going to need to put the gas. They're going to put their foot. They're going to need to put their foot on the gas pedal when John Morant gets back. The perfect case scenario is: Look, Mark Smart play both roles. Gets back with John Morant. He's playing both roles. Everything's seamless. Uh, you just pretty much the biggest adjustment at that point is incorporating John Morant into the flow of things, and pretty much the rest of the rotation has played with John Morant. So that won't be too hard. Marcus Martin is going to be the one guy who's going to have to make the adjustments. And depending on how, how Taylor Jenkins uses him before John gets back, I think this is important. Some people probably say, oh, Michael, you're making too much of nothing. This is These are hoopers. This is what these guys do, right? A lot of guys know how to play on the ball. A lot of guys know how to play off the ball. Yes, you could say I'm making too much of nothing. But I want to give you some examples. It, it, look at no, none other than – Let's talk about DeJounte Murray and Trey Young, right? DeJounte Murray went from playing primarily on the ball uh, with the San Antonio Spurs. He goes over there uh, to the Atlanta Hawks. He's playing with Trey Young. He's playing off the ball a lot of games. And then Trey Young misses some games, right? And then DeJounte Murray goes on the ball, and the Hawks play well. The Hawks play well. And then he goes back off the ball, and uh, they're struggling a little bit again because they're trying to figure out how to use him. But guess what? The Grizzlies have the perfect opportunity. To say, hey, Marcus Smart, even though you you're our point guard right now, but we're gonna play we're gonna play you uh, in similar positions right now as to when John Morant gets back to. We're gonna do some of that right now. You're basically uh, jumping ahead, and Taylor Jenkins in general does a really good job of that. So it's not a concern on my end. It's just a key. Keep in mind on that. It's not a concern. I don't think this is something that's gonna be worse. I think Taylor Jenkins will do this, and everything will flow seamlessly uh, from that perspective. But if he doesn't, if I notice that, you know, Marcus Smart's having the ball in his hands 75, 80% of the time, that's going to be a concern when John Morant gets back. Uh, because we know one of John Morant's strengths is playing with the ball in his hands. And speaking of strengths, that's what we're going to talk about in our last segment. John Morant, uh, we know how he plays to his strengths. Taylor Jenkins coaches to his strengths. How can the Grizzlies maximize that? We're going to talk about that coming up. On Locked On Grizzlies. Welcome back to Locked On Grizzlies. I am your host, Michael Cole, beat writer for the Commercial Appeal, right here in Memphis, Tennessee. And we're having a real good conversation about the keys for Taylor Jenkins uh, this preseason. Uh, not just this preseason, but the keys that will carry him over into the season. And these are the underlying keys. You know, I, I think we can all agree, you know, half-court offense is at the top of the list. Uh, we want to see how the Grizzlies' rotations work out, right? You got all these bodies at forward, you know, John Conchard, David Roddy, Jake LaRavia, Zaire Williams. Uh, what happens with Josh Christopher? Uh, you got so many bodies on the wing. Like, everybody can't play. You know, what happens? What about Lofton Jr.? Like, like rotation questions are there. We'll get to that. And, you know, we'll address the half-court offense in, in a later episode. As I said, media day is on Monday uh, on the afternoon. Follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter. You see my handle down there, at DeMichael C. I'm going to be there at Media Day. I'll have live updates, all the coverage. You can also follow my coverage at commercialappeal.com of everything that's going on at Media Day as well. But before we get to that, we got to bring down our last key. We talked about the first two points, if you've been tuning into Locked on Grizzlies. First example that we talked about was the Luke Kennard effect. Uh, Luke Kennard has to play a lot this season. I think uh, the stats prove it. We talked about the playoffs. Uh, the four, four of the top three, uh, 
four of the top five three-man lineups for the Grizzlies in that series against the Lakers included Luke Kennard. That's not an accident at all. Trust me. Uh, and in the second segment, we talked about the role of Marcus Smart. It's it's a tricky situation for him because he's going to be the player who probably has to adjust the most when John Morant gets back. Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., Stephen Adams, all those guys have played hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of minutes with John Morant. It'll be no sweat for them. But Marcus Smart is the newbie in terms of he hasn't played on the same team with John Morant. He's going to make the most adjustments. I think Taylor Jenkins can kind of set him up role-wise before uh, John Morant gets here to make that transition a little bit less seamless. Of course, it's, it's going to be a little rough probably, but to make that transition a little less rough than it potentially could be, you know, at that point of the regular season when some other teams may he may be hitting their stride. But the last point is one we talked about uh, in particular with, with Zaire Williams uh, with the Grizzlies and Taylor Jenkins. Uh, I've always you know, said that I think Zaire Williams is a very talented player. Most of you know that. But I've also said that I think a lot of the problem in terms of where Zaire Williams is in his progression as a player, uh, of course, injuries is the biggest one. Let's address that first. Injuries is the biggest reason. But I think there's some coaching things there that could be shifted a little bit. And that leads me to the, this last thing. I want to talk about coaching not necessarily to the coach's strengths, but the player's strengths. We know Taylor Jenkins likes to get out and run. He's threes and layups and things like that. But guess what? The Grizzlies don't have the greatest finishers in the world, and they don't have the greatest shooters in the world. Not in the last two years. Um, they got Desmond Bain and Luke Kennard as shooters. But you look beyond those two guys, uh, Santi Aldama is very capable. Jaron Jackson Jr. is very capable. But you talk about your projected starting lineup, uh, I mean, you're, you're hoping that David Roddy, Jake LaRavia, uh, Zaire Williams, one of those guys takes a jump as a three-point shooter. But certain guys have certain strengths that I want to see emphasized more uh, this season. I know the name of the game is threes and layups, spacing and placing, you know, spacing and, and, and all these things and get up the floor real fast, beat the defense up the court before it gets set. I know that's the name of the game. That's today's NBA. I'm not saying go away from those things, but I'm not. I'm also saying do not ignore the strengths. I've said it with I've used Zaire Williams as the perfect example. So I'll start with him. Then I'll move on to some other guys. But with Zaire Williams in particular, you've heard me say this guy legitimately. I mean, this is not a hyperbole. He is uh, above average. He is in the upper tier and amongst mid-range shooters in the NBA percentage-wise. His two-point field goal percentage in the last two years, only Brandon Clark on the Grizzlies has paced him. I'm, I'm talking about higher than Steven Adams. I'm talking about two-point field goal percentage, higher than Jaron Jackson Jr. I, I mean, he has been very effective in that area, but the thing is most of his shots – are pretty much coming from three-point range. That's kind of been the role that he's been put in. We know the Grizzlies don't like to do a lot of the back-to-the-basket stuff. Well, guess what? You got Kenneth Lofton Jr. on this team, and he is a monster with his back-to-the-basket. He is a guy, I mean, he just won G League Rookie of the Year. My thing is, Kenneth Lofton Jr. shouldn't be in your rotation if you don't allow him to play with his back-to-the-basket and play Zebo style. These Grizzlies, this is the next-gen Grizzlies, right? We kind of coined them with that nickname. This isn't the grit and grind team. Grit and grind team, Kenneth Lofton Jr. is a perfect fit. Next-gen Grizzlies, he isn't. He hasn't been a perfect fit yet. That's why last season, despite him dominating 
dominating in the G League. Uh, we didn't really get to see a lot of him. I mean, he put up, I mean, what, 42 and 15 in his last game of the regular season when he finally got to start and show what he can bring to the table. I think you need to coach more than his strengths. He is a potential rotation player if the Grizzlies say, hey, man, go, go out there. We're going to put you on the block. Eight seconds on the shot clock. We're getting you the ball, and we're moving the heck out of the way. It's your world. We're just living in it. But that's not the Grizzlies' style. I think we need to see a more of a mesh. You don't want to see – I mean, making him someone who's going to just roll to the win, clean up misses, you know, uh, spot up from three-point line because of the spacing and things like that, him as in Kenneth Lofton Jr., that isn't the best conducive to his game. Same thing with Zaire Williams. And the list goes on and on and on. I think the best example playing to a guy's strengths has been, you know, uh, John Morant. I think we need to see more of allowing Jaron Jackson Jr. attack those mismatches. And that can be, you know, attributed to Jaron Jackson Jr., you know, not doing it himself sometimes too. But I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen a lot of times where Jaron Jackson Jr. will be in the post and he'll have two hands in the air and he'll have a mismatch. Sometimes he gets ignored. I think that can be traced back to coaching. He showed this past season he can – forcefully dominate mismatches. His two-point percentage went up. His free throw rate went up. Now it's time to build on that, go to another level. If Jaron Jackson Jr. is being guarded by a six-seven guy who's traditionally a small four, but he's playing the four on certain teams, there's there shouldn't be a game where he shouldn't have less than either six free throw attempts or 20 points. One or the other. Something's got to give. He has less than If he has less than 20 points, he better have six free throw attempts. It's very simple. Uh, and The list goes on. I think you say this with a number of players. Same thing in terms of mismatches with Santi Aldama, with David Roddy as well. But a big part of what makes the Grizzlies great is they know who they are as a team. They know, look, we're gonna we're gonna get out, we're gonna run the floor, we're gonna play in we're gonna play in transition, we're going to get up the floor, and we're gonna score before your defense gets set. That's why they're always near the top of the league in transition scoring. But it's also been a reason why the half-court offense has struggled in a way because it isn't really been emphasized, you know, to the same light. But Taylor Jenkins has said it himself in a recent interview on NBA.com. He said that they're going to pull out all, all the tricks, basically, to figure out how they can get to the bottom of making this offense, you know, the X's and O's, this half-court offense, uh, as good as it possibly can be. But those are the three keys that I got lined up for you. On today, the Luke Kennard effect, Marcus Smart's role, and coaching more to the strength of the players. We know that Coach Taylor Jenkins, we know his strengths. And defensively, he's one of the best out there. But there are certain strengths and certain players who I feel like can take this team to another level. If Taylor Jenkins says, Sire, you know what? Shoot that mid-range jumper a little bit more. Or Kim Lovinger, we're going to get the ball to you on the block right there. Or Jaron Asante, when you got that 6'5 guy on you, we are not taking a shot until the ball touches your hands. All those things need to be emphasized coming up in this season. We appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. Locked on Grizzlies, making it one of your first listens each and every day. On our next episode of Locked on Grizzlies, we got a good topic to hit on. We're going to preview Media Day. Me and Joe Monax will be back together. We're going to preview Media Day, and we're going to hit on some of the biggest questions going into media day so make sure you stay tuned for that and then on tuesday as we get into that episode we're going to recap media day so guess what things are about to tune up look you stuck you stuck with us through the dark days of summer we appreciate you because guess what 
We're here now, and everything's about to get cracking. And Locked On Grizzlies is about to get in prime mode. So thank you for tuning in, Locked On Grizzlies. Remember, we're free and available wherever you get podcasts. Until next time, I'm DeMichael Cole. See you on Locked On Grizzlies.